I'm Michael Geary, and this is the EU History Podcast. On this episode, we discuss the fascinating relationship between Romania, the European Economic Community, and the Council for Mutual Economic Assistance during the late 1950s through to the early 1970s. And who better to discuss this with than Dr. Elena Dragomir, a PhD graduate from the University of Helsinki and currently a researcher at the Wallachia University of Tragovista in Romania, who has published extensively on the topic of Cold War Romania foreign policy, including recently in articles published in the European Review of History and the Journal of Europe-Asia Studies. Elena, welcome to the EU History Podcast. Um, Thank you very much. I'm particularly excited to discuss your work um, today because it's the first episode of the podcast where we kind of go behind the Iron Curtain and focus on this really exciting interaction between the EEC and the CMEA. And in this case, looking at that interaction through a Romanian lens. When I was reading your work, I was really struck by how little has been done by historians on this whole world of Romanian foreign policy via vis-a-vis the EEC and the CMEA. Um, during the formative years of the EEC's creation. My first question, since we will just dive right in, is why do you think there has been a lack of scholarly interest in this whole world that you really vividly um, describe in in your recent research? I think that for a very long time, uh, scholars tended to focus on studying uh, Romania's relations with the Soviet Union or Romania's participation in the CMA or in the Warsaw Pact, um, very late and very slowly, the scholarly interest turned towards Romania's relations with Western states, Western organizations. And um, I think there was, and maybe there still is, this uh, misconception that after the war, Romania did not really want any kind of relations with the West. That's the main historiographic narrative, even nowadays. Uh, that Romania was the one that break that broke relations with the West because of its uh, new ideological affinity with Moscow. So scholars assumed in many ways that there wasn't much to study in terms of Romania's relations with the West or with um, with some Western organizations. And a very important part of the Romanian language historiography, because people have. Uh, we do have um, important numbers of works, but they are mostly in Romanian. Even when they discuss Romania's so-called turn to the West in the 70s, many of them tend to say that it was not genuine, it was not real, it was fake, <laughs> and that Romania in actuality wanted uh, better relations with the Soviet Union or with the CMEA or with the Eastern European states. So I think this is a very important part of the pro- of the problem. Even today, when I try to present a research idea for a research grant, for instance, and I say that I would like to study Romania's relations with Western states in the first part of the Cold War, I am told that this is not something that can be done because there isn't much to study. <laughs> But when I look at the archives, at the records in the archives, I see that it was not the case. Although we did not have official relations with many states for many years, there are many contacts from the Romanian side, at least. And I think that the low point in Romania's relations with the West, at least for the first part of the Cold War, 
is explained mostly through the Western restrictions on the East-West trade at the time. Only in the last years, uh, the scholarly interest started to move towards this Romania relation, Romania's relations with Western states. Yeah, and we will turn to that turn to the West, which is a really fascinating turn, this, this apparent turn to the West in the 1970s, which is really interesting. But you mentioned there earlier, I suppose, the, the, the archives. How accessible is all of this archival material in the foreign ministry from the period of, say, the late 50s right through to this turn to the, turn to the West in the 70s? I mean, is it easily accessible for historians? Is there an awful lot of material there? Or are there still patchy gaps in, in what available. This discussion about Romanian archives is very complicated and complex and I think that part of, of why researchers did not study relations with the West for a long time is also because we did not really have access or proper access to archive records. So the story with the Romanian archives is like this. There are two major archives that uh, hold uh, historical records that are relevant for this research topic. So we have the National Archives in Bucharest. They are of officially called National Historical Central Archives, and I want to emphasize the fact that they are historical archives. And we have the archives of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So um, after the collapse of the socialist regime in Romania, for many years, there was no access to the archives of the communist regime or archives created by the communist party. Uh, in the early 1990s, only a very small number of people would have access to these archives or, or records or files, and they would publish on, on the basis of those files. But the rest of us would never have access or never been granted access to those files. And these were people that were very well connected either with the secret services in Romania or with the political sphere. That was a huge, a huge problem. Then in 2007, we had something that was called the, the, a presidential commission, that is the president of the state, a presidential commission for the study of the uh, Romanian dictatorship, or communist dictatorship in Romania. And that commission issued a huge report on the history of Romania, both in terms of national policy and foreign policy. And starting with 2008 until 2022, we have been allowed access to the archives on grounds that the that commission had already had access to, to documents mm. to file. But there was also a catch, namely that we had access only to those files that have been or had been already processed and inventoried by the archivist. And that's important because um, after the 1989 event, the archives of the Communist Party have been relocated repeatedly. Uh, the funds of the archive, the series of the archives, the group and subgroup of the archives have been split mm. and moved around. And um, when some parts of these archives eventually arrived at the National Archives, the the original indexes and registers and inventories, the archives um, were completely useless because ah. they no longer respected uh, or, or there was no um, match between the original registers and what the archives actually got. So this is why uh, the archivists need time and a lot of money, I presume, to re-inventory all the archive materials they have. So in theory, we would have had access to documents, but only uh, slowly 
as they had time to to inventory those files and made them available to the researchers. Uh, many archives have been destroyed. Some are completely lost. Some are missing. We don't know it, where they are. For instance, archives of different factories. We don't know what happened to them. Or archives of of different ministry, like the archive of the Ministry of of um, health. Uh, some archives are stored in improper storage conditions, and this is why they will probably in a couple of years be destroyed as well. The fact that for the National Archives, the principle of, of provenance has never been actually applied is a huge problem because the other researchers do not have access to the context of documents. And it also takes a lot of time to uh, to find documents because they are no longer together. It's also the problem of, of trusting what you see in a file because people uh, intervene even in files. So they remove documents from files, not only files from archive series and so on. So as a researcher, when you decide to approach a research topic, one of the main questions is, do you have access to the uh, primary sources? Uh, do you have proper access? Do you have the time to do the research? That's a huge, a huge problem. Then, of course, archivists tended to inventory mainly files dealing with the national national policy, domestic policy, or files dealing with Romania's relations with the Soviet Union. We are we depend a lot on what type of, of, of documents we have. There is also the archive of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and um, the access in that archive is in theory a bit easier because I forgot to mention but there is another problem with the national archive that wasn't <laughs> enough namely that last year so I said that between 2008 and 2021 we did have some access but last year in May the, the principal director of the national archive issued a um, decision that virtually blocked any kind of access to to the historical files on grounds that researchers do not have access to classified documents that are held by the National Archives. Uh, in uh, December, the government issued a decision that declassified the small parts of the historical documents held by the National Archives, and they declassified document documents until 1972. But documents um, that are classified and they were produced between 1973 and 1989 are no longer uh, open for research. So if you have a file and in a file there is one single document that has been marked as classified by the agency of origin, you don't have access to the entire file. That's one thing. The other thing is that it takes a lot of time for the archivist to check if uh, every single file to see if they have classified documents within that file. That, this is an additional problem. The, according to the media, there are four people in Romania that have been accused, charged with organized crime and terrorism because they had access to this type of documents classified documents from the historical national archive. Two are researchers and two are archivists. And uh, in very concrete terms, um, I can think like this. I have thousands, maybe tens of thousands of, of photos uh, taken uh, in the national archives. And if I find 
among these documents, one document that is uh, classified and was created after 1973. I cannot use that document. I can't write about it. I can't uh, cite the document. I can't say and I can't publish the document because although it's considered compromised, it's a compromised classified document, but it's still not declassified. So I risk to face the same kind of challenges like terrorism and organized crime. What I want to emphasize is, in my view, it has absolutely no sense to this situation. Um, I want to emphasize that the national archives are historical archives. They are public archives. They are not secret archives. And this uh, discussion regarding declassified material is based on a law from 2002, and in my opinion, should not go back until, you know, 1952 or 1972. Being a researcher in Romania should come, come with a health warning when you're using some of these archives because it is, even in 2023, it appears it's still rather challenging in gaining access. And But in your own research, luckily, you've been able to exploit quite a bit of material because your your recent work really has mined wonderful material from the from the Romanian archives. And if I can kind of just bring bring us back to that, um, because in, in your work you have discussed, you know, this wonderful relationship between Romania and um, its relationship with the EEC and the CMEA. But if I can ask then, because um, I was really struck by your research when you were discussing this, when we look at how the uh, Council for Mutual Economic Assistance was set up, uh, how far was the EEC model of integration a suitable one to copy? Because I kept thinking in my mind that what the EEC has created, there are similarities of sorts with the CMEA, but it's not obviously an ideal comparison. CMEA was created in 1949 and the EEC in 1957. I was oftentimes tempted to say that there are many similarities between the CMEA and the EEC in terms of integration. And, and this is what I mean. Of course, if we compare the competencies of the EEC with the competencies of the CMEA, if we take into this into consideration the fact that the EEC was from the very beginning uh, built as a supranational organization and the CMEA has always been a governmental organization of of independent and sovereign state. If we look at how decisions were made within the EEC and within the CMEA, then of course there are only differences. But um, when I say that, uh, that there are many similarities and when I say that the EEC integration actually worked as a model for the CMEA integration, this is what I mean. I work a lot on the CMEA and I think, of course, mostly based on Romanian archives. And I think that I, I know, especially Romania's participation in the CMEA, and I've seen a lot of plans regarding the reformation of the CMEA towards integration. It seemed to me that very early, even after the creation of the EEC, one of the responses at the level of the CMEA was to go towards its own type of integration. And in the early 60s, in the late 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, we have numerous 
plant of CMEIB formation toward the integration and supranationalism. And what I say is that when I look at these lands, they seem very similar to me to the Western European integration. And it seems to me that the Western integration model was indeed used when these plants were put together. But anytime I try to make this argument, they tried. And even when I try to present the idea as an hypothesis, I have always been presented with criticism, especially from people that know the Western integration very well, <laughs> which is something that I don't know very well. So I think that we need a scholar or a research group or a research project, somebody that knows both, that knows both Eastern, Western integration and Eastern plans of integration and to compare the mm. two. But in my opinion, the archive um, evidence suggests that the EEC model was indeed used as an example of EMEA integration. The picture you've painted in your work, I mean, you do see the CMEA paying close attention to what's happening in the EEC. Um, and there's some really interesting discussions going on there that you've outlined, um, which would give an idea, an impression that there are aspects of the EEC model of integration of cooperation between states that the CMEA CMEA are quite eager or quite keen to kind of focus on some of those. Within that wider EEC world of the 60s, you talk about the kind of bilateral relations that Romania had with some Western European countries that were inside the EEC, bilateral economic relations that under the, the then rules were allowed. But once we have the kind of completion or the implementation of the European community's common commercial policy in the early 70s, um, this becomes a bit of a problem for Romania, right? Because they had these, this relationship, but now it's proving more difficult because the EEC is moving forward in protecting their market. How does the implementation of the EEC's common commercial policy impact Romania? Well, the Romanian professional elites, like diplomats, economists, uh, directors in foreign trade organizations, low-level specialists in the Ministry of Foreign Trade or in the Ministry of, of uh, foreign affairs understood very early the huge impact of the common commercial policy of the EEC on Romania's export interests mainly because they understood that uh, once that policy was implemented Romania would no longer have access to the markets of the EEC member states and that was a time when uh, the Romanian authorities wanted to expand and diversify the experts the Romanian experts to the western um, European states and those states were considered the main commercial partner of Romania at the time in, among the capitalist states of course and uh, why was it important to have uh, exports uh, to these countries because the Romanians wanted to uh, gain hard currency to use to pay for western technologies and machineries which were deemed as extremely important for the industrialization of the country and the industry Realization was basically put at the basis of Romania's economic development on the long run. So not having access to those markets were, was, was problematic not only because they lost some money, but also because 
they felt that the ultimate goal was transforming Romania into a developed industrialized state was actually at risk. Uh, in 1973, I think, Bucharest estimated that Romania lost about 7 million US dollars as a result of the enactment of the EC with its three new member states, Denmark, Ireland, and UK, uh, once those states began to apply the EEC rules. Or in 1971, the, the Romanian embassy in, uh, in uh, Brussels estimated that Romania lost between 300 and 400 million lei each year as a result of the state-aid discriminatory commercial policy of the EEC, uh, including the common agricultural policy. So it was regarded as having a huge negative impact on Romania's economic interests mainly. And this is why they decided that they had to deal with the EEC as an organization, because after a certain point, the EEC member states were no longer allowed to carry uh, commercial relations with third countries. So Romania decided that if the only way to continue its export or commercial ties with the EEC member states was through the EEC, then it was willing to deal with the EEC. But in, in your work as well, you point out, which is really interesting, the ways in which it was quite challenging for the CMEA as an organization to develop a coherent policy towards the EEC. And, and that's really fascinatingly unpacked. So you talk about in your work um, policy responses to the EEC like the so-called Prague program and the so-called minimal program. What are these programs? And moreover, and more importantly, why can't the CMEA get full support for, for these programs, especially the Prague program, in trying to coordinate or develop a clearer strategy towards the EEC? One of the responses of the CMEA towards the EEC integration was to reach its own integration and one element in that integration was to create commercial coordinated policy of the CME member states towards the EEC. And uh, that was the original plan, the original Soviet plan to convince the CMA member states to agree with a coordinated commercial policy towards the EC member states. However, Romania opposed and blocked that uh, initial plan. And what the, pro the Prague program was in the end was something very different from the original Soviet plan, because mainly uh, due to Romania's opposition, the Prague program defined this coordination in terms of mutual consultations, and exchanges of opinions and exchanges of um, information between the CMEA member states with regard to their own policies towards the EC or the EC member states. So the PROC program, which was a 12-point program, and then the minimal program, which was a six-point program, just half of the PROC program mainly, were doomed to fail from the very beginning because they could not uh, include very concrete measures of coordination and cooperation. And, and that uh, was the result of Romania's opposition to this kind of coordination. Why, what I really like about your work is this opposition that Romania has to these plans and it's very clear that it's not going to work because Romania is is kind of uh, digging its heels in why is Romania then so opposed to wider a wider economic relationship with the CMEA and the EEC was it purely about Romania protecting and safeguarding its existing bilateral relations with EEC states like West Germany and 
that they didn't simply want to have something imposed, a plan imposed upon them that would impact their existing relationship for fear that Moscow would dilute uh, this kind of economic relationship or this economic uh, opportunities that they already had. I mean, this this seems to be a really interesting question, right? As I said, many times the Soviet Union and other Eastern European states like Germany or Poland, depending on the period, advanced proposals of CMA reformation towards integration and every time Romania opposed. Why Romania opposed? And it was a very successful opposition. It was because the Romanian authorities really believed that a supranational structure, a supranational organization would never be willing or able to make decisions favorable to the smaller member states. So as we know, in the early 1960s, according to the CMA reformation plan, Romania was supposed to become a supplier of raw materials and a supplier of agricultural products and to import instead an industrial product. And uh, the Romanian authorities from the very beginning said that that was not economically profitable to export mm. cheap agricultural stuff and to import expensive industrial machinery. That also affected Romania's long-term development plan, economic development plan. As I said, Romania or the Romanians believed from the very beginning after the war that the country that the country should industrialize and that only an industrialized state could uh, become a member of the group of the developed states of the world. And that was the original goal or, or the final goal. I wouldn't say that Romania did not want to expand its economic relations or cooperation or coordination within the CMEA, but I would say that it wanted a type of coordination and cooperation that was in according to the Romanian terms. They would never agree with uh, some other states to coordinate or dictate Romania's economic interests or goals or policies and so on. It was a very successful opposition and we can find this opposition from the mid-1950s to the, or probably even earlier, to the late 1980s. And it's really nicely painted in your work. You describe kind of broader Romanian policy during this period to be pragmatic and active and adaptable. But would you apply the same adjectives then to Romanian elites during this period in terms of how they were trying to navigate domestic economic policy with their relationship to certain member states of the EEC and to the CMEA relationship? For a very long time, Romanian language scholars used, used to say that Romania was not independent or was not even autonomous in its foreign relations or especially in its relations with Moscow and that only the elite were independent and autonomous in their relation with Moscow because Moscow was not able to replace the, the Romanian elite anytime Moscow wanted. And, and this is something that I don't really agree. I don't think your question goes there. Um, the professional elites in Romania, as I said before, and the role of the professional elite at the time, I think it was very important. And although my research has never really focused on the role of those elites, it seemed to me that the uh, archive evidence suggests that their input was often taken into consideration. So these elites, uh, they were uh, economists, uh, specialists in foreign trade, uh, even diplomats, 
uh, they would elaborate analysis, reports, strategies, proposals, and those papers would be uh, revised and approved by the high-level party or states elite. And what I find is that um, often cases, their proposals were accepted. And I think that this is a very important uh, thing to notice because usually the Romanian language historiography says that it was Ceausescu or Verdudes who decided and everybody accepted the decision and that was it. But this is not the case. I mean, they often, they asked for the input from the professional elite and they took it into consideration and they accepted that and when it came to Romania's relation with the EC I, I could very well see that the embassy in Rome for instance or was among the first one that advanced proposals regarding Romania's future relations with the EEC especially in the 1960s and then the embassy in Brussels and then uh, directors in the ministry in directors in directors of foreign trade organizations and these proposals were taken into consideration many many times Romania then joins the International Monetary Fund and the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development in 1972. Uh, we discussed earlier this turn to the West in the 70s. And I suppose Romania then is kind of, is somewhat aligning herself with that world of institutions, Western institutions in one way. Is this a reaction to the European community's common commercial policy? Or is it simply a realisation that Romania needs financial supports beyond the CMEA or opportunities, economic opportunities beyond the CMEA and that slowly but surely despite the communist system Romania needs to be economically pragmatic in the 1960s uh, Romania considered that the IMF and the World Bank were international financial organizations that were beneficial to the developed industrialized states but not to the less developed or developing states including the member states and uh, in the late 1960s and even in 1970 and 1970s the Romanian authorities, meaning the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or the National Bank, advised against Romania becoming a member of the IMF and of the World Bank because they felt that the, the advantages would not surpass the disadvantages. Mm -hmm. In 1972, in a very short time window, this decision changed and, and the, um, the, the party leadership decided for Romania to join the IMF and the World Bank. And I think that this has a lot to do with the context. We had this context that showed some reformist ideas within international financial organization and trade organization, world trade organizations. Reformist ideas that talked about how developed how the developed states should take measures to support the, the economic progress of the developing or, or underdeveloped states. And in the early 1970s, Romania defined itself and tried to officially be accepted as a socialist developing state precisely because it hoped to have access to the measures that uh, the, the United Nations or the GATT or the IMF would take in support of the developing countries. In very concrete terms, Romania wanted to have access to cheaper loans to use for the same imports of technologies and Western technologies and Western machineries. That was the plan. And another aspect equally important, I think, it was uh, Romania's decision to expand its 
trade relations with, uh, with as many world countries as possible. And the Romanians were observing this emerging uh, global economy, and they believed that they could not function within that emerging global economy if they were not members of the organizations that tended to run or uh, manage to some important extent that uh, world economy. That was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I think one last brief question, I suppose, and we've kind of touched upon it already, but what does all of this say then, looking at this wonderful economic dynamic between uh, Romania and the CMEA and Soviet Union, and then the EEC, which they can't ignore because they have these important bilateral relations, but what does this say about Romania's relations with the Soviet Union then during the period that you focus on? Well, I think it says a lot of wonderful things. Like, it says that the Soviet grip on Eastern Europe and on Romania was not as tight as previously thought. It says that the ideological factor is less important than we tended to believe for a very long time and that the communist ruled states were able and willing and had the knowledge to follow their own commercial interests. And uh, it also says, I think, that the Soviet factor when it came to Romania's domestic or, or foreign policy has been used too much and that when we look at the history of Romania during the Cold War, especially its, its foreign policy and uh, foreign economic policy, we should not ignore the Soviet factor, but we should be careful not to exaggerate its role and relevance and importance. Well, we could talk for hours on this really interesting area of contemporary European and EU and Romanian history. And for listeners eager to discover more, they can read Elena's latest article on the subject in the Journal of Europe-Asia Studies published just last April 2023 entitled Asymmetric Cold War Trade, Romania and the General System of Preferences 1968-1979, which is also a fascinating read. I ask each of my podcast guests a random question from the Proust questionnaire to lighten the uh, the atmosphere after a very intense discussion on Romania, uh, Romanian foreign policy. And Elena, here is yours. Which talent would you most like to have? Um, well, for the sake of the game, I think I would like to be able to cook because I'm completely unable to boil an egg. <laughs> And I think that would be very useful. <laughs> yes, that's incredibly useful talent, uh, which I think we all need to improve upon. <laughs> very yeah. good. Dr. Elena Dragomir, researcher uh, and expert on Russia or Cold War policy in Romania. Uh, thank you for being my guest on this episode of the EU History Podcast. I'm Michael Geary. Thanks for listening.